Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Bolton here, and today I'm excited to have you here listening to episode 451 of the Speaker Lab podcast, where I'm going to be joined by entrepreneur, speaker, branding expert, Tina Wells. Now, we've had a lot of entrepreneurs come on the show, many of whom also host podcasts, write books, teach online courses like Tina does. But Tina has accomplished something pretty special. If her name sounds familiar, it might be because you have seen it at Target, uh, where you can find her office supplies collection, Elevation by Tina Wells, and her series of children's books, as well as her new book for entrepreneurs called The Elevation Approach. Now, The Elevation Approach is Tina's unique framework for entrepreneurship and work-life harmony that she has been developing for decades. With this approach, Tina is going to help busy entrepreneurs figure out what channels and initiatives that they should prioritize to avoid burnout and overextension. While her message applies to professionals of all kinds, Tina enjoys working with women that she calls a sandwich generation, those who are juggling motherhood, adult relationships, careers all at once. And as someone who leverages her podcast into speaking gigs and tours, she's also going to share some of what that process is like, including how she found a podcast agency that was a good fit for her. Tina is a creative through and through, and she does not let anything stop her from accomplishing what she sets out to do. She started her own journey to entrepreneurship when she was just 16 years old. So if you are always wanting to gain a little more experience before you start chasing your dreams, her amazing story might convince you otherwise. So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Tina Wells. Enjoy. Hey friends, welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Today we are joined by Miss Tina Wells. Going to be talking about uh, her speaking journey, uh, as well as the books that she works on, uh, her entrepreneurial endeavors, all that she's got going on. So, uh, Tina, thanks for hanging out with us today. Thank you, Grant. I'm so excited to be here. All right. First of all, once you start by giving us a little bit of context, what all you do, what all you got your hand in, and specifically, like how does speaking fit into the mix of it all? Yeah, you know, I started speaking quite early on in my career. So I was an accidental entrepreneur. I started my first company when I was 16. Um, again, completely by accident. I wanted to be a fashion writer. And I ended up landing a job for a newspaper for girls, doing product reviews. And that really led me to a career in trend spotting and market research for a few decades. And so my speaker journey actually started... Um, in that way, like I would talk about trends and I would spend, I can't even tell you, weeks and weeks of my life at that age on the road talking about um, the youth market as it's starting out and then millennials. And so you imagine how crazy we all were for millennials when, you know, they were emerging and I was always on the road talking. And so um, my career really 
has grown since then to, to be more on the product side. You know, so I started out as a marketer, marketing other people's product, and now I develop my own custom product lines. Um, right now, in partnership with Target. I've done several books. And so um, now I get to have conversations about my books. Very cool. So whenever you were, you're 16, you are traveling around, traveling around on your own or on behalf of companies, oh. or how does that even work? Definitely on my own. Um, and so it's funny at first, my parents, actually, my mom was just reminding me of this early on that she and my aunt would travel with me. And she's like, I miss being your plus one. <laughs> she's like, you'd have to go do the work and we'd get to enjoy whatever amazing city you were in. Um, but it was really, I mean, my work was focused on research and data and trend spotting and helping customer like uh, companies, my customers, uh, primarily Fortune 500 understand this new emerging demographic. And so it was always presenting my own research, my own work. So it was a lot of prep work, you know, developing these decks and videos and presenting custom research studies. And so it's a lot that went into it, but it was really, really gratifying work. Uh, it's funny. I was in Charleston this past weekend and someone had asked me, How, have you been here before? And I said, not that I can recall, but I'm fairly certain I was here <laughs> back in the day when I used to do talks all the time. And I think that I probably didn't get to see Charleston the way I did this past weekend. But um, that was really a lot of my life at that time was always showing up, giving a talk, talking about emerging demographics. And I and it's I still love to talk about research and emerging demographics. And so not much has really changed there. So whenever you're talking on all of that and you're doing market research and talking about trends and and that sort of thing with these with these big companies or brands, so if I understand timeline correctly, you were 16 at the time. Oh my god! So I started at 16, um, and I ran that company until I was 39 years old. Um, and so I was, you know, in my 20s. I graduated college, but I still remember a talk I gave my senior year of college that was really career changing. Um, because I had just started to do some research on music piracy. And I was invited to present at a really large industry conference. And I got up and said, like, hey, 99% of young people have illegally downloaded music in the last 30 days and are not going to stop. And people didn't really like the sound of that. But then I ended up getting a call from the head of music at Sony. And she said, um, I think you're the only one who told us the truth. And I want to work with you. And for almost 10 years, I got to work with so many artists at Sony. And so, um, you know, it was definitely, I was very young when I started and it's something I really love to do. And so for when you were, again, late teens, early twenties, especially, and you're, you're starting to kind of build the business on like you're getting some momentum there. You're speaking at a few different things here and there. You're speaking in front of like, uh, I assume in some of these rooms where you're the youngest person, what kind of oh, like imposter? Yeah. What kind of imposter syndrome are you feeling at the time? And are you thinking in the back of your mind, like, who am I to be up here? Like, why would any of these people be interested in what I have to say? Um, so I actually didn't. Not until that music industry conference. And here's why. People were so hungry to understand a demographic they didn't know or didn't understand that I was always very welcome, right? I was seen as a solution to a problem. I wasn't really pitching anything or selling anything the way we think of it now, right? I wasn't like, hire my company to do X, Y, and Z. I was naturally getting hired, right? 99% of my business was referral because I was one of very few companies doing this type of thing. And so I always just thought of it 
as a really fun opportunity. You know, imagine like a dinner party where you get to share something new with your friends, right? Like I, I genuinely love trend spotting to this day. If someone comes over, I'm like, hey, have you tried this product? Have you heard of this brand? Like I just genuinely like that. And so I really didn't um, have imposter syndrome except for that one opportunity, that one time I just explained when I felt like all the industry respected research companies were telling basically the recording industry that piracy wasn't going to be an issue or anything they had to worry about. <clears throat> and I felt like, but it is an issue. And then I remember um, Billboard wrote an article about that conference and like conveniently left me out. And so I really felt the imposter syndrome. I was like, oh, I just like got completely cut out of the conversation. But look at what happened, right? The person, yeah. the one person who is probably the best person in that room heard me and she hired me. And so it ended up working out well for me. But um, I could definitely say in that instance, imposter syndrome was probably real that day. How old are you for that conference? Uh, I was just about to graduate. So 21, 22. And how did you book that in the first place? They found me. You know, I, again, there weren't a lot of people. You have to remember this. I graduated in 2002. So mm -hmm. there weren't a lot of people in, in that space at that time. You know, and so I had gotten a lot of press. I was really fortunate um, to have gotten so much press from a young age. And so people were calling me. And, and unbeknownst to them, calling me in my dorm room, you know, which I think was really, really funny at the time. And so as the business has evolved for you over time, like again, we touched on a little bit of, at the beginning where you you speak, you write, you uh, have your hand in a couple different entrepreneurial uh, activities. And so how have you kind of navigated the which things make sense for you and which things don't? Because as an entrepreneur, like there's no shortage of things that you could do. And you look at a hundred different entrepreneurs and personal brands and they do it a hundred different ways. So how have you kind of figured out of going like, hey, this makes sense for me. That doesn't make sense for me. And how has that kind of evolved and changed for you over time? Yeah. I mean, obviously I think the elevation approach and my new book is a really big part of that. I think I had used that as my framework for so long before I shared it with other people um, because to your point, what I think I've learned and I'm sure so many entrepreneurs can relate to is like once you learn how to make a business, right, or you learn the secret sauce, you start thinking about all the ways you could apply that. But I think sometimes what we forget is to ask ourselves this question, like, does that actually make sense for me? You know, and so I think my evolution and that was definitely um, what really caused my pivot from marketing into content and product creation, right? Was the idea of like, I could do marketing forever and ever. I like marketing. I'm good at marketing. But do I love it? Is it the right thing for me to be doing at this moment? Is it the thing that lights me up? Am I a little scared of it? Like all those questions you have to ask yourself. And when I started asking those questions, the answer was like, no, I'm not really scared of marketing. No, it's not really challenging me. And what was, you know, and for me, when I started thinking about where the challenge was, it was this intersection of content and commerce and community and big retail, which I've always loved. And, you know, I started my career in consumer packaged goods and really got to expand that with what I get to do now. And so I think everyone needs to have their own toolkit. You know, for me, I can ask myself roughly a couple questions really quickly to figure out if an opportunity makes sense for me. I mean, even down to what a tour was going to look like for my book, I was able to really think about what was going to make sense for me, you know? And so um, 
I think everyone has to know those questions ahead of the opportunity because I think when opportunities show up for us, we're so dazzled sometimes that we forget to run through, you know, does this work for my life? You know, and that that to me has become really important, that framework of really testing it and saying, does this make sense right now? And so how have you determined and landed on like, what are those criteria for you? So going back to that question of, does this make sense yeah. for me? And here's a couple of different check boxes and it becomes pass fail, which I a thousand percent agree with of like knowing the answer to those questions before the questions come up. So it's not like you're trying to talk yourself into something or justify or rationalize something. So how have you figured out whether or not something makes sense for you in terms of different opportunities that may present themselves? Yep. So I think, you know, one of the key concepts in the elevation approach is this idea of work-life harmony, right? That balance is antiquated. We can't achieve balance, but we can have harmony, right? And so harmony, it, it could mean that you have a lot of work, right? And that that works for you and that you've carved out the family time. And so the first thing I do that, you know, any reader of the book will do is have that conversation and answer a lot of questions around what work-life harmony looks like for you. So the first thing I do, like my gut test is, okay, I said in this season, I want my life to look like X. It could be being able, like I have two young nephews um, who are growing up in, in Italy um, and they're Italian-American. I want to be able to see them a certain amount of times per year, right? My parents are, I'm part of that sandwich generation whose parents are aging, you know, and also, you know, participating in raising children. Um, that's important to me. Can I see my parents when I need to see them? Can I make decisions based on what is the best in this season of their life, right? So I just, I have a couple things, but that's my version of work-life harmony, right? Yours might look a little bit different. You might say, I'm in a season of grinding for my business. And to do that successfully, and that was me for a few years, right? I was building this new business. I you know, just had a line of office products launch at Target. I spent two years developing that, right? So there was a way my life had to, had to look for those two years. So part of what work-life harmony looked like during that season was carving out time to have dinners with my friends. Like I needed my supper club. Like there were certain things that really made that workable. And so I think to really get to the test, you have to first decide what work-life harmony means for you, right? Do you, are there rituals you need? You know, I have a whole list of things that I need that make me feel good wherever I am that like keeps me in that work-life harmony zone. You've touched on a couple of times, uh, elevation approach, kind of explain what that is. Yeah. So elevation approach is my new book and it is really a guide to help you bring your big idea to life and bring it to life in a way that means you don't have to sacrifice the quality of your life. Right. So it's one thing to bring the thing to fruition. It's another thing to feel great when you're doing it. Right. And so I really wanted to create a strategy that helps you do the latter, that really helps you feel excited and engaged throughout the process, but also giving you tools so that you can achieve work life harmony and you can still have all the pieces of your life that you want as you're pursuing whatever your dream or your goal is. You touched on earlier uh, that part of figuring out what makes sense and what doesn't make sense is just the season of life that you're in. And maybe that's season of life personally, it could also be professionally and kind of what you're wanting to do. How do you kind of like when you look back over the course of your own life, how have you kind of determined what season am I in? Am I, am I clearly in a season? Am I coming out of a season? Am I going into a new season as this season close? And I'm trying to figure out what's next um, because it's easier to look back oftentimes than it is to look forward. So how have you kind of determined how those, how you've navigated those seasons in your own life? 
Uh, it's an interesting question, Grant. I have to tell you, I, I recognized that the first 20 years of my career, I just let happen, right? I thought it was this very um, serendipitous, like I told you early on, I was an accidental entrepreneur. I was an accidental author, right? I just kind of said, oh, this is an interesting opportunity. And that really drove me to a place of burnout, right? I wasn't crafting my own agenda. I was sort of going with whatever anybody else thought should be on my agenda. And in a way, I was kind of giving over control of really what would make me happy to other people, right? Not their fault. They didn't ask for that. I decided yeah. to do that. Then when I sat down and started to map out, well, what would be ideal for me? I think one, I don't know if others can relate with this. Sometimes we feel like who are we to actually get to craft the life we want, right? Or we're so lucky to be entrepreneurs. We're so lucky to have made it. Who are we to then decide we also want this harmony thing, right? So I think I had to come to grips with that. And I, as I talk about in the book, when my dad got sick um, and I saw, and I, I got to spend a lot of time with him that year, um, I saw someone in, who was so content and so happy with their life that what I yeah. started to think about was, how do I get there? And what does that look like? And I'm going to have to make some big changes. And then it was a very scary leap of about six months of just quitting things. I went on sabbatical and then decided um, I didn't want my agency anymore. I didn't leave my agency to go start another thing. I just decided that thing wasn't working anymore. And then, you know, went into books full time, which became so gratifying and, you know, changed a lot of things. But I think where we often all get stuck is what happens if you are doing well in the thing that you want to quit? That's hard. You know, what happens yeah. if you're like, you know, doing really well, batting a thousand or, or accomplishing what people think you should accomplish. I think it's hard sometimes to then say, I still don't feel like this is the thing I should be doing. Right. Right. Uh, I want to talk about books for a second. You, you've got the new book coming out, but you also, uh, you have written several books. And a lot of times when, when people have written a series of books, oftentimes it's about, you know, things that they've learned and lessons and oftentimes for the people that they have been speaking to, you have written a lot in the fiction space, um, for a different type of audience. So maybe talk a little bit about that, kind of explain that to us. And then also like, how does, how have you viewed that in terms of like how that, that fits into your business? Yeah. So it's funny, Grant, I started out in middle grade because of my business. I was asked by uh, one of the largest uh, consumer packaged goods companies in the world to research this new emerging customer called a tween. So this is back in 2006, 2007. Tweens were just becoming all the rage. And in my research, um, one, I discovered these kids are awesome. They're fun, right? They're at a stage where they're just starting to make some independent decisions, but yet they're still tied to their parents in this interesting way. I just genuinely, like, genuinely fell in love with that demographic. And then I had a mom approach me during a focus group break, and she said, hey, you seem to know about these things. My daughter is 10, and she's reading Gossip Girl. What do you think I should do? And then my entrepreneurial like problem-solving gene kind of kicked in when I thought, could I write something cool that would be parent-approved that girls would like? And then that became almost like a challenge. And that was my first series, Mackenzie Blue. And then, like I said, I took a long break from writing books. I was very focused on growing my business, but I the content piece was what I love, right? And if you remember when I talked about how I became an entrepreneur in the beginning, I wanted to be a fashion editor, right? I went to college for journalism. So writing was always there. I just kept doing other things 
that I fell into. And so now I feel like I'm doing the thing I've always wanted to do and doing it my own way for sure. So even whenever that, that opportunity pops up on your radar of a mom kind of mentioned this to you, like, again, that, that could be the type of thing where you're like, yeah, that, that could be cool. Um, uh, but it could also be like, yeah, I'm sure that would be great for somebody, but not me. So <laughs> how did you kind of, again, run it through the mind of, does this make sense? Were you just at a season of life where that made sense? Um, because again, it sounded like you were the majority of the work that you were doing was, um, in some ways for teens and about teens, but it sounded like you weren't necessarily speaking to them or working directly with them. Uh, so how did that kind of, cause in some ways it sounds like I'm, I'm speaking and writing for one audience and working with one audience, but now I'm going to create a series of books for a totally different audience. Now there's some overlap there, but it sounded like it was a, a bit, a bit different there. It was, so what's interesting about my company is I always, at the time, I was a teenager when I started it, and I always saw myself as a liaison between teens and companies that were targeting us, right? And as I grew up, the demo also grew with me. And I would say today, I still see myself um, as an advocate for the consumer and way more than the brand, which is probably why I left marketing, right? Like as I develop products, I really am thinking about what best serves the customer and what that customer's journey is like. Um, and then to answer your specific question, like how did I do it? Um, I have almost, I always talk about like mini feasibility tests, right? And so um, when you go through the elevation approach, there are four phases, preparation, inspiration, recreation, and transformation. Um, and so in the preparation phase, I would call that almost the feasibility phase, right? Can I actually do this? So with the first book, what happened is I was doing marketing for a book um, that was actually acquired from a marketing agency similar to mine. So a lot of people may not know, like Sister of the Traveling Pants, Gossip Girls, like things that were really big in the early 2000s were actually created by marketers, right? And so I was given that opportunity uh, to be honest, at the time, I said, I think I'm really too busy. And then the focus group thing happens. And that, to me, um, is almost how I think about things as a marketer. When problems show up, right? And I was asked to do it once. I said no. Then a mom came to me. And then I said, maybe I could. I had a two-week break. So I wrote a treatment. I still didn't dive full on into a book. I sent it to a couple friends in the business and said, is this good? right? Like yeah. I don't have time to write a creative project that's not going to go anywhere. And they all came back independently with like, not only is it good, you should get this done as quickly as possible. Um, and then I went back to that publishing company where I was a marketing partner and said, who are the top agents that you purchase from? And then I went and had conversations with agents. And so yeah. it's still a lot of testing, but that was the elevation approach, right? Preparation is just about decluttering your space, right? So I had to make some space. I made time in those two weeks, um, you know, getting curious. I spent some time really starting to understand the that book audience even more, know your numbers. I started to really work through, does this make sense? And then the inspiration phase, I think, um, where people actually maybe misunderstand the elevation approach is they think inspiration is like, I'm inspired, I'm fired up, right? I'm going to go get people to get me fired up. And really inspiration is almost like the gut check phase, right? So I went to people who did this every day, who absolutely could tell me if this was good or not, right? I didn't go to friends in business who said, sure, you should do it. I went to people who yeah. actually do the thing I was considering doing 
to find out from people who would actually acquire the project, market the project, feature it in their magazine, was this good? And so that to me was the elevation approach. What I was missing, honestly, was the recreation piece, which is where you take a pause and then you bring it all together. I was not good at knowing when to take that pause. Right. So if we were to fast forward to today, I'm curious, what would the, um, uh, for speaking specifically, like how does speaking fit into what you're doing? Are you, how much are you speaking? Are you speaking again, primarily to in, in, uh, industry and trade show type groups or, uh, who's your typical audience? What are you typically speaking about? Oh goodness. I am speaking more now than I ever have before. Uh, you know, even through a podcast tour, I hire an amazing agency. I have 40 plus podcasts, right? So I'm speaking to a lot of different audiences. And I will say that um, the skills I learned early on in marketing, right? Marketing is never about me as the marketer. It's always about the audience, right? Marketing is an art and a science. It's about understanding that demo and then coming in with a message that just fits them to really show them why they need your product or service. And I feel like I get to do that every week, multiple times a week when I come into, you know, a community, whether it's a TV show like Drew Barrymore show where, you know, I did a Drew's one minute, right? So I just summarize my book and a tip for her audience in one minute to, you know, a podcast that could be focused on, you know, completely around home organization, you know? And so every time I come and sit with an audience, I then have to talk about, why my book or why this message makes sense. And so it's all different types of communities. Um, primarily, I would say women, right? And, and primarily women who I like to call almost the sandwich generation who are actively raising children and also really kind of more actively uh, engaging or re-engaging with their parents as well in this life stage. Gotcha. And so uh, even that, it sounds like there are women who are in that sandwich generation who are balancing, you know, motherhood as well as careers, like there's a, as a big slice of the population. So where do you even <laughs> yeah. find them? And like, what are, um, uh, what, is there anything like proactively that you are doing to, to book gigs today? Yeah. So one, I think having a podcast agency who really understands me and my message, right. And I think a lot of the work up front with a partner like that is me being able to tell them very clearly, this is who this content is for, right? So it's not just about finding a partner or sometimes we think, um, oh, go get booked with a speaker's bureau. You still have to inform that speaker's bureau on how to pitch you, right? And what your unique message is, what your unique story is, what you can speak to, what you have spoken to in the past, right? So it's a lot like, um, almost like the elevation, like that preparation phase of the elevation approach. It's saying, what do I have to offer an audience like yours, right? Why would someone like you even be interested in booking me for your audience? And so I think it's understanding what your talking points are, understanding what you hope um, the value is that you add to an audience. And that's a lot of work that we as the speakers have to do ahead, right? And I have, I can't tell you, I have given talks, like there's a speaker series I have done now four or five times for John Hopkins, um, where I speak to over a hundred top doctors at Johns Hopkins, you know? And so to be able to speak to that audience, I've been published in medical journals for marketing talks, right? So it's all about crafting and understanding though, what the audience needs to hear from you and what your unique point of view is on a particular topic. And I think as speakers, we all can bring a unique point of view. I think where 
we mess up sometimes is if we think we have to sound like someone or be like someone else or borrow something. It's like, no, there is something that's so unique to your journey that you can offer someone else if you can just focus on what that is, right? So for me, it's I was a teenpreneur who burned out at 27, who figured out a way to help me bring big ideas to life without causing stress to myself and now finally allowing me to live the way I want to live, right? So whatever the audience is, that's really the story I want to bring, right? And I might tell it in a different way if I'm talking to a group of women. I might tell it in a different way if I'm talking to you know a group of entrepreneurs. But ideally, everyone is getting the same you know journey. I'm just delivering it in a different way. Gotcha. And so for someone listening who's going, um, okay, I, you know, I want to, I want to be on the journey that, that Tina has been on in terms of having a personal brand and sharing a message and making an impact. Like what would you say to them would be the, the, how you get started with that? So first I would say, um, figure out what you want to share. And then I would say, figure out where, and just know you don't have to be everywhere. I think sometimes there's so much pressure to be on TikTok, be on YouTube, be on all these different channels, right? I would really say, think about one, if you start with one channel you really, really enjoy, you know, think about how you can thrive there and then focus on consistent content and consistently delivering for the people who are showing up for you. And then once you've consistently delivered there, you might want to expand. But I wouldn't try to go to a bunch of different places, right? Because so many people will say, you have to be here and you have to be there and you have to have a community here. Like, no, focus on the message, focus on the best way you can deliver that message and then be consistent in that delivery. How have you determined which platforms make sense be, with all of the different choices that you have? Uh, again, you can make a case for any of them and all of them and none of them. So right. how have you kind of figured that out for yourself? Um, when, when I first uh, graduated from college, I was just starting to establish my business. I started a newsletter called Tina's Top 10. And this is way back in the day. I mean, this is like 2002. It was just like 10 things I liked. And that newsletter grew to like a cult following of industry experts, many of whom have been friends of mine now for 20 plus years. And they're still part of a list, right? When I started Elevation Tribe years ago, I started a list for that. And, and so I've just really felt like I love to write. I'm a writer. So a newsletter really has always made sense for me. Um, I love traveling. I love, you know, one, traveling was such a big part of my career as a researcher, going to new places, you know, doing a lot of ethnographic research, getting to know young people and their elements that I've always loved sharing photos, sharing images. So Instagram just naturally made sense for me. Um, and there are other platforms where I'm like, I should be on TikTok and I should be doing a lot more than I am, just not as natural for me, you know? And yeah. so I felt like I better grow in the two spaces that I find most natural. And then as I build, it doesn't mean I won't show up in those places. It just means I'm not going to grow probably as quickly in other spaces because it's just not as authentic to me as Instagram and an email newsletter are. Right. Uh, Tina, this has been super helpful. If, if people want to find out more about you, check out the new book. Where can we go? TinaWells.com. Uh, you can subscribe to my newsletter. Um, also, of course, check out Target.com. I have a brand page there and you can shop all of my products. Every single product I have now that's available at Target is on a Tina Wells brand page at Target.com. And of course, Target stores. Awesome. Tina, thanks for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Grant.
Hey friend, are you ready to get serious about taking your speaking business to the next level? Maybe you are someone who is looking for ways to book more paid gigs, or maybe you're trying to figure out all the different things that go into building a successful speaking business. Or perhaps you are an experienced speaker who wants to scale your speaking business to multiple six figures. And so if that's you, I would encourage you to visit thespeakerlab.com slash apply. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash apply. I want you to book a free, no obligation call with our team. And if you're not quite ready to take that leap, I don't want you to hesitate in checking out all the free resources that we have available to you on our website, including this podcast. So head over to thespeakerlab.com. Again, thespeakerlab.com. Find hundreds of blog posts, how-to guides, podcast episodes, email scripts, proposal templates, and so much more. Finally, I got a big favor. I would love for you to leave us a rating or review for this podcast. We read every single one, and it also helps other speakers find valuable free resources that they can use to build their own speaking careers. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.